yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara egornamian on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. Square helps you look after your business needs, from payments to menu management to online ordering. Visit square.com for more. Today we're going to talk about the drone fiasco at Dublin Airport, whether TikTok is getting closer to a ban here in Ireland or elsewhere, more job losses may be on the way in tech in Ireland, and the best way to save money on roaming in the US. Tabitha Monaghan, award-winning producer of this podcast. <laughs> How are you? I'm really well. How are you? I am not too bad. Where on earth are we going to start first? A very busy news week. It's been a really busy news week for tech, but I think something that probably is of most interest to people is the drones at Dublin Airport and the complete chaos that it caused. Yeah. I mean, it was a widespread cancellation of flights. That is yeah. a catastrophe. This whole thing... I- Honestly, I'm not sure people understand what's going on here. I'm going to try and break this down in terms of what the issues are, what the technology is and what's attempted uh, to to be done about it. First of all, the technology. So there seems to be a bit of a standoff going on between the Dublin Airport Authority and the government. The government wants the Dublin Airport Authority to take ownership of this for them to go and buy more drone detection and drone jamming equipment. Now, to be clear. Dublin Airport does have drone detection technology. So it detects something around 300 flights taking off within the five kilometers uh, around Dublin Airport every month. Yes, drone flights. That's very high, actually. About 300. Now, here's the thing. It only triggers a shutdown of the airport when it gets close to the core uh, around the runways in Dublin Airport. And that's when you get your 30-minute shutdowns, your 40-minute uh, delays. That's when the, the arrivals and the departures are all disrupted. The problem is that's happening uh, way too much uh, at the moment. A lot recently. And I think it's, you know, that uh, story about the Chinese spy balloon over the States. Mm. And then there was this period of time where there was about four or five sightings of them because they're becoming more aware of yeah. it. Is that's what's happening in Dublin Airport, that we're seeing a load of it. It's just because they're looking for it more. So that, that's a key issue. So there are two problems here. One is that the technology can detect drones. The other problem, though, is that Dublin Airport, like every other airport, relies on sightings. It relies on people 
who to call in to the tower to say, look, I have seen a drone. You need to pay attention to this. Now, sometimes those sightings are wrong. Who are these people? Sorry, now, because it's, are these lay people who are, you know, out watching not airplanes? Not so much. Okay. Not so much. They are tip- There's typically only a handful of people who are accredited to be taken seriously to shut an airport down in terms of a drone sighting. Now, that is a bit different. A couple of years ago, for example, the most famous t- uh, uh, incident was in Dublin, in London's uh, Gatwick Airport in 2018, when the airport was shut down for three days because of multiple sightings of drones. Now, they were all based on sightings. So the problem was there was never any photos or videos produced of any of these drones. So despite the police regarding 115 credible sightings, nothing was ever produced. Two people were arrested wrongly, then released. And the consensus among a lot of drone uh, experts now is that there may never have been actually a drone interfering with flight paths in London Gatwick. The Gar- a Guardian investigation subsequent to that uh, put it down to mass hysteria. That's very problematic, though, that somebody could have that much impact on an international airport like Gatwick to shut it down for three days by just saying, well, I, I saw it. Well, and this is it. Now, there are other issues and other questions over who might be behind such a thing. And I'm not going to speculate uh, upon that here because... There are a couple of cases currently before the courts around that issue. I will say this, though, that enforcement in general of drone laws and regulation in Ireland is weak. It's poor. As far as I'm aware, other than those two cases that are currently before the courts, I think there was only one prosecution before that for um, errant use of drones. Now, I'm a drone pilot myself. I, I, I have an interest in them. I have a few drones, never fly them around cities, never fly them around airports. But I know that, uh, it, it, you know, the enforcement is incredibly weak. You can go and fly a drone with and nobody will do anything. Let's uh, say they catch a drone, yeah. for example, that is within the radius of the airport that you aren't allowed to fly a drone. Can they trace it back to the owner? Is there that kind of regulation? Only if it's registered. Now, you are supposed to register but your drone. But that's the onus is on the owner of the drone to do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a very light touch uh, form of uh, regulation. Now, there is technology that can detect where the pilot is, where the drone is taking off from. If you look at other countries like France and Latvia, France is putting in a huge anti-drone system this year because it's hosting the, the Rugby World Cup. Next year, it has the Paris Olympics. And that technology will not only be able to detect where the drone took off from, it'll be able to, to jam it as well. But most of those solutions are quasi-military solutions. So they're from companies like French military companies like Thales or uh, the American um, arms company Raytheon. Uh, and that's not typically uh, a procurement process that Irish authorities and agencies are used to dealing with much. And that might be part of the standoff between the government and DA at the moment. But bringing it back to Dublin, okay, we don't have the events that France is having, for Mm. example, but we're March now. People are starting to book their summer holidays. It's going to become more problematic and more disruptive as we come into those summer months if this keeps happening. I mean, okay, we have millions of flights that are happening in Dublin Airport all the time, Mm. but this is going to be seriously problematic. So what are they going to do? I mean, I know you said, is there, what's the standoff? Is it because they don't want to go through that procurement process. Why is there such a a reluctance to deal with this? Dublin Airport Authority say this should be the guards or 
uh, defense forces okay. because that's typically what happens in a lot of other countries. Okay. They are uh, an airport authority um, for serious uh, offenses. They believe it should be for civil authorities, criminal authorities to deal with that. Now, it will get sorted. Eamon Ryan, communications minister, has said that um, within a few weeks they are going to have a solution and an a-, a state agency will be given responsibility to go and procure uh, this technology. But as you say, um, this needs to happen quickly. We're now into St. Patrick's mm. uh, month yes. festival, a lot yeah. of Americans coming over and that kicks off our tourist season. So we need to sort this out uh, quickly. Can you just explain briefly what the tech actually is and what it does, how it works? Is it effective? Will it work? Is that just once it comes in, we're going to be grand? And is the problem just getting it in? Yeah, effectively, it's jamming frequencies. Now, you have to be very careful with that kind of technology. This is why it's mostly um, arms companies that specialize in it, because the precision involved here to not uh, disrupt um, flight frequencies, other frequencies that might be important around the airport, uh, are. it's very, very important that you can identify and you know contain that jamming to that particular uh, device. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's really where the future is uh, uh, um, on this issue, I think. But it isn't a new frontier. It is being done elsewhere. Oh, it is being done elsewhere. Absolutely. I mean, to be fair, drone disruption is still quite rare. It has proliferated a lot this year, and we're not going to speculate on why or who might be behind it, but it has. But other than that, it's actually quite rare. So. No one has been pressed yet into doing something about it, but we need to do something about it now. Yeah, it just has to be done. There's been other stuff happening, though, this week Mm -hmm. in tech. I think we should talk about uh, TikTok because it's something you've been working on for The Independent. What's been happening? Yeah, I'm fascinated by the future of TikTok, by far the most, uh, the fastest growing social media app. And I spoke to a couple of people uh, this week, including the Irish Data Protection Commissioner, Helen Dixon, um, who said that she was meeting with the director of the National Cybersecurity Centre, Richard Brown, who we've had on this podcast before. I think we gave him his first uh, broadcast interview and they he and the cybercrime unit there, a cybersecurity unit there rather, they're starting to formulate views on whether or not TikTok might actually be a security risk in Ireland. Now, when we say security risk, what are we talking about? We're talking about um, whether two things, whether or not data is being transferred back to China, which is an authoritarian state, which has a very cold relationship with Western countries at the moment, and whether or not Chinese authorities might be influencing the algorithm um, in TikTok, which could be used then to for disinformation, to skew uh, all sorts of uh, news angles. The reason it, all this is happening now is because a couple of weeks ago, the European Commission banned its staff members from having TikTok on their devices, ostensibly for security reasons. That follows the US government doing the same. Danish parliament now uh, is is looking uh, at doing the same and banned in India. So there's a bit of a wave going on here at the moment. Why is the wave happening? Have they done an investigation into it or is it pure speculation or just thinking, well, do you know what? It's not worth the risk, so let's just ban it. Yeah, it's a combination of all of those things. So you start off with the notion that uh, the Chinese authoritarian state uh, is not known for 
stepping back from espionage. Okay, now you could argue that the Americans and the Brits and the French and the Israelis and everyone else, you know, do exactly the same. However, we are in Western countries and that forms the context as to why we are wary of um, a social media app in which the Chinese state may have, and I say may because it's not clear yeah. what their involvement with TikTok or TikTok's Chinese uh, um, parent company, ByteDance, uh, is. You know, it's frequently reported that the Chinese Communist Party has what's called a golden share in TikTok's parent company, uh, ByteDance. Now, I interviewed TikTok's most senior uh, policy director in Europe this week. He denied that completely. Okay. He said that China has nothing to do with TikTok. He said that all of TikTok's data um, for Europe will be will soon be in the Irish data centers. TikTok's building a second Irish uh, data center here, and that in this in the states, it's all handled through Oracle through a new deal that they've done. So, TikTok is really at pains to try to argue that there is zero involvement with the Chinese state. Uh, in their operations and how their data is processed and how their data is stored are anything to do with that. Nevertheless, um, there are quite a few government officials in Europe and the US who disagree with that. I think it's interesting that they are taking this stance and action against TikTok, a big tech, a big social media platform because of its links to China. But mm. they have never taken these kind of steps for any other social media platform like Facebook or Instagram, WhatsApp, nothing like that, no. even though the Data Protection Commissioner here has inf has imposed fines for GDPR breaches. Absolutely. And what you have to understand, in my view, about why that is, is because if you look at Google and Facebook and, you know, Instagram and Twitter and all of those social media companies, the manipulation or the tapping into the data was always done by the US government or the Brits. That was the big scandal. That was the whole Edward Snowden uh, revelation. Now, to you and me, that was unacceptable. But to the British and American security forces, you know, that's 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 part of keeping their population safe. They would argue that's the key difference here. Like I've had arguments or I've had exchanges with people around this issue on, you know, look, what is the difference with China doing this and the US doing this? And what it boils down to is that many of us are more comfortable with the Americans doing it than we are with the Chinese doing it. That's kind of what it boils down to. That's it. Yeah, I think so. What about jobs, though? I mean, TikTok. What if a ban does come in and I mean, OK, A, what kind of ban could mm. we see in Ireland for one? Mm. And if there is any kind of ban, be it limited or more widespread, what impact could that have on jobs in Ireland? Well, to take the ban first, I think it's unlikely there'll be an imminent ban on TikTok in Ireland in the coming months for two reasons. First, um, there is no ban yet in any individual EU country, and it's very unlikely that Ireland will, uh, you know, will lead for that, that, yeah. that race. And secondly, and it's related to your other point, TikTok has a large industrial presence here. That doesn't mean we won't ban it from staff devices in security agencies or in the Oireachtas, for example. But it means that uh, there will be a, a quite an intense lobbying effort here to avoid that happening. TikTok employs 3,000 people here. It has one data center. It's planning a second data center. I looked up the lobbying register this week. Um, they've been in 
lobbying government officials at least six times over the last uh, six months, up to and including the Taoiseach, the then Taoiseach, Micheál Martin. So um, there is pretty intense engagement going on there. So I don't think there will be an imminent ban. If there was a ban, this is one of the questions I put to TikTok's European director, would that affect jobs? Would that affect its presence here? They say no. But of course, they will say that at this point. But they say no. But that would be very impactful for an awful lot of people, regardless if, okay, it's 3,000 people. Like you said, that's a huge employer. And by the way, we haven't even mentioned what effect that might have on people who use TikTok. So we're uh, analyzing this from a security point of view, from an industrial relations point of view. If you ask anyone under the age of 24, 25, I'd say they would place an equal priority on, sorry, what do you, I, what do you mean you're going to ban TikTok, grandpa? You know, yeah. okay, boomer. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I quite like TikTok. Yeah. Um, so that's an, that's an entirely other, uh, uh, that's another angle to this. Did you ask him about that, the TikTok boss, about the young users? Mm. I mean, do I, I just wonder for, for a company that has so much influence, I would argue, on the younger population, I mean, do that is that in their mind while they are running their business that there is a huge cohort of young people on their platform? Oh, yeah. oh they they know it. I mean, they they yeah they know it. But are they ta- are they taking that on board? Uh, you know, just you think, just the like we mentioned about misinformation or whatever. It's just the ability to influence young people on a platform. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the reasons why. Um, this is such an issue. The idea that the algorithm might be interfered with um, or could be manipulated in some way, even if it's not yeah. the Chinese authorities, yeah. that much power in one company's hands. I mean, we've spent a decade. We've talked about this with Facebook. Going after Facebook yeah. after this. Uh, you could argue the same for YouTube and Google. So to be fair, TikTok can't complain that there's this much scrutiny because it has a massive amount of power. I don't think there'll be an imminent ban, but there could be more individual bans over the next year. What about other job losses, though? The central bank had something interesting to say this week about that. Yeah, well, we thought we were over the hump of the tech job losses in uh, Ireland. And I think the central bank put a figure of around, was it 2,000, 2,300, something like that uh, so far. But there might be more meta job losses on the way, Facebook. And there's kind of a very interesting reason why. So we've discussed in this podcast before uh, how Meta and Facebook in particular is having a hard time. They uh, announced that 350 roles would be affected by their current wave of job losses, 13% of the company. Now there may be more, but the way that they're doing it reportedly is kind of an interesting one. They may not actually make people redundant. They've given a huge number of people really poor reviews. So they've, according to the Wall Street Journal, they've given 10% of their staff, not in Ireland now, company-wide, poor reviews. Um, and what that Perform- means... Performance reviews. Yes, yeah. per- poor performance reviews. Um, the lowest performance review you can get in Meta is called needs support, right? <laughs> and if you get two of those in a row, you're kind of in trouble. Now, typically the path, what happens there is that you yourself will either be encouraged or you may feel the need to leave the company. So they've given twice as many people as normal, very poor performance reviews. And you know, the Wall Street Journal, um, uh, Business Insider, other uh, reputable 
outlets are speculating that this is a precursor to uh, Facebook and Meta trimming its staff numbers. It's funny because didn't Mark Zuckerberg say months ago, if you feel like you want to leave, leave. Oh. He was kind of like, here's the time, go. And now, I don't know, maybe that just didn't work. That kind of nicey-nicey yep. approach. Like everybody who wants to leave, off you go. <laughs> Didn't yeah, work. I, I so didn't now even, they're trying another approach. I didn't even think it was nicey-nicey at the time yeah. because he basically said, look, um, you may not be for this company. If you think that uh, you're you're not an absolute star, you, you better leave. He's calling it now the 2023, the year of efficiency, right? So efficiency, I think, means letting more people go or, or at least um, that's what it seems. We will know more in the coming weeks. The a spokesperson for Meta, who we contacted said that they had nothing to add to this, which makes sense because if the reporting is correct and this is happening via poor performance reviews, then they're not really in control of those numbers. Yeah. It, this will depend on people leaving uh, leaving themselves. Who are these people? What are their jobs? Yeah, so the people who were let go um, are were, were cross-functioned. There was quite a lot of people in recruitment for obvious reasons. Meta has a huge number of functions in Dublin. Don't forget, you're talking about Facebook, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp. You're talking about engineering, sales, uh, administration, uh, data centers. Um, so there was a sprinkling uh, from around those groups uh, that, that were let go. It's not clear where the, perform the poor performance reviews uh, were uh, concentrated. Um, yeah, but the, the key question for me here is, is this the beginning of round two of the job layoffs? Will we see more from Google, for example? Um, the big one is Apple. Apple hasn't announced okay. any job layoffs. I said on this podcast a few months ago, if Google, Apple, or TikTok, if any two of those three announced layoffs, we'd be in for deep cuts. Google did, although only, I think, 240 out of 5,500 which is really 10,000 because of the number of contractors they also employ. Apple hasn't yet. TikTok hasn't yet. If either of those announced layoffs unrelated to a TikTok bang, for example, I think we're in big trouble. I'd say the government are keeping a close eye on that as well. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, from the the earnings that the the income earnings that those employees make, but also the corporation. Oh, the corporation, the corporate taxes. Now, we should say that the markets have gone up. So the, the absolute low point for the tech companies was around December. They were all, you know, 50, 60 percent down. They've now started to climb back up. Even Tesla has started to climb back up. So um, there is light at the end of the tunnel for these companies. Uh, I, I still don't think we're in for a deep recession in tech, but could be proven wrong. We were speaking earlier on about the impact of flying and the mm -hmm. airports and the drones. But something you were looking at this week for Ask Adrian was traveling to the US in particular, something that you do frequently. Mm -hmm. Just back. Just back. What what do you do when you're over in the States or in, in Europe as well? You maybe might explain it there for people who are going on holidays abroad with roaming, using your phone, because these days, I mean, when you go up to the States, you're using Uber or you mm. know anything like that. What do you do? In the States, it's a complete head wrecker. Okay. I used to go into the States and you'd be an absolute mug normally to depend on your operator's roaming deal for the States because it's typically a very small amount of data. Now, there are exceptions to that. People who have um, high tariff plans 
sometimes get good uh, roaming uh, deals to the US, but mostly not. So normally what I would do is when I land there that evening or maybe the next morning, I'll go down to a T-Mobile shop or a Verizon shop and I will buy a prepay, you know, all you can eat data card for about $40 and I'll stick it in my phone. That's fine, but there's two problems with that. First of all, 40, 50 euro. Now, that's quite that's quite expensive. Second of all, it's a hassle. For a two-week holiday. Well, for a two-week holiday, that's good. But oh, if right. you're only going for one week, mm. okay, um, the hassle as well of doing that, if you've got kids in tow and you don't want to be doing that. Now, what I used last week, I was in Texas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. What I used was interesting. It's, it's a new product from Gomo, Air's oh, yeah. budget operator. It's called Gomo World. And that uses your smartphone's eSIM. So just to back up a second, if you have a smartphone that you bought in the last three or four years, the chances are that it's not just the little plastic SIM card that you use. It also has what's called an eSIM. And that means that it can connect to a network without a SIM card. How do people know if they have one of those? So there is a list. Uh, So if you have any iPhone bought over the last four or five years, it has eSIM capability. So do most of the Galaxy S the Samsung Galaxy S phones, S21, S22, S23. Not the cheaper ones, though, not the the Galaxy uh, A models. Um, A couple of Oppos have it as well. Most of the Google Pixel phones have it. Anyway, what you do is you download this app, Gomo World, and um, that essentially uh, will activate your phone's eSIM for 20 euro. That's very good. 15 gigabytes for 20 euro. Uh, I tried it out uh, last week, uh, downloaded, paid for it, and it was fine. It was absolutely fine. So my worry would be you go over, you go to T-Mobile mm. or Verizon and you put the SIM in and if your phone is locked. Right. So your phone has to be unlocked yeah. for that to happen. Yeah. Um, it's a good question, actually, as to whether uh, Gomo World will work uh, on a locked phone. I don't know the answer to that. I will come back uh, on that question. But on the unlocked phone I was using, it was absolutely fine. So from Oklahoma and Arkansas, back to the studio here in Dublin. Thank you very much for listening to and watching The Big Tech Show this week. Thanks also to Tabitha Monaghan, who produced to Gav Hennessy on sound and to Conan Doherty on video. From me, Adrian Weckler, I'll talk to you same time next week. Bye-bye. Schachten, an Indo- Askeliga. Time imon irukti yen of chakt erakhor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erakhor inuik kart lena winterfein. Skilti fis turmi. Pashe dochrecha nach vetok ara igornamyan on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv orkar nrachtum. Yatakshe tarin griven orkar stan elistu halagus kimena fracht gorakleg sar dukeshen erakhor. Oni venaun. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.